guys, welcome to the Schiller and Hamilton podcast. I'm just, as you know, we were just discussing how excited I am that y'all are both here. Um, joined today by Peter Maroney, the chairman of the Winthrop Foundation, and Dr. Jack Duraki, the interim vice president of advancement. And I'm the only one here without a Winthrop lapel pin, unfortunately. Something's but wrong there. I don't know, something's man. wrong. I failed miserably. I did wear my Winthrop tie for the occasion, um, which actually includes the blue line. I actually blame advancement for that. Do you, you should have well, a like, serious question. Are you team include blue and Winthrop official colors or team just the garnet and gold? That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Because for uh, a while it was in there. It was. Mm-hmm. And for a while we had the blue banners going down Scholar's Walk that created a, they bit looked of a, phenomenal. a controversy. It's funny that that was controversial. Yes. Because they looked great. Yeah. No, absolutely. Very regal. Mm-hmm. Very... Uh, very important, very significant. <laughs> That's right. Do you remember, though, in 05, 04, athletics had this gray theme that they had with their all of their practice and all of their, their team sports? You had gray, black, and white. No, I don't through. remember that. I, I have good? some copies. I, I have yeah. some stuff at home. Are there, are there like shots of Peter in the gray, black, They're and white winter uniform? Yes. That's okay, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I want to talk a little bit. Winthrop is going through some really exciting changes right now. We have new leadership coming in. I say we. Y'all have new leadership coming in. I'm a member of the greater Winthrop community being an alumni, but um, let's talk a little bit about the presidential search process. How can, like as a member of the Winthrop community, you know, Winthrop has been through a lot. How can I be sure or that Winthrop got it right in the search process? And how was the search process designed to pick the right person for the job? I guess I will tee that one off, being part of the PSAG group. Uh, well, it, the first thing I'd say is it took eight months mm-hmm. to actually arrive at a decision. So that is how, I don't want to say labor, uh, labor-intensive this was mm-hmm. overall. Um, they got it right because they made a decision quickly at the end, Yeah, which when you do a lot of high-effort throughout anything, it's very easy to, to come to a, a decision. Um, I think the board of trustees as well, listen to the community, listen to the constituents of the staff, the faculty, students, uh, the business community as well. I know you were a little bit involved in that, Joel, uh, to an extent. Felt very confident overall in everything that they that the search uh, embodied. Dr. Julie Fowler did an amazing job. Chairman McCall, uh, Vice Chairman Kathy Bingham, as well, it just it ran extremely smoothly, and you know, no stone was left unturned with this search. So, how wide of a net does a university like Winthrop cast in trying to find this person? How do they go out into the market and recruit the right type of person? Yeah, I think it all starts with a search firm mm-hmm. that they hire, and, and Jack might have more uh, clarity on that because he's been in higher ed much longer than I have, at least directly. Um, yeah, no, Myers McCray is a, a great search firm, great search firm, very well known in the Southeast. And, and they've also worked with schools of our kind uh, for a long time. So they were well suited to, to conduct this kind of search. And I will say this, um, you know, we had a huge number of applicants and this was not a surprise. Um, Winthrop's been through a lot the last few years. Folks might have been surprised to see that much interest um, but I certainly wasn't, and nor, nor, nor with others, just because of the opportunities that Winthrop has before it. Uh, but, uh, you know, Myers did a great job. I think, 
I really appreciate Peter also emphasizing the point, and for both people that will listen to this podcast, this will be important. Um, the uh, the that it was really inclusive and, and that they listened to feedback. I don't think there's any question that that's clear. Mm-hmm. Then I would just also add they made the right choice in the in the sense of what the process spit out, right? Mm-hmm. And trust the process. The process will take care of itself. And it moved quickly, and that we needed it to move quickly. There was a lot of pent-up demand because of COVID. There were not a lot of searches run last year. And so – uh, I think the the board should be commended with the uh, expediency with which they executed from the time that applications were in to the time of the selection. Um, in terms of the effectiveness for Dr. Cerner, that's that's going to rely on a lot of us at the university, Dr. Cerner as well. Uh, there's a you know now the work starts. Right. You know uh, the solution didn't happen. The work starts towards uh, towards a brighter future starts now. Jack, you've been at the university long enough to have been through few of these before, yeah. uh, maybe more than we've like than we'd like to admit to. What was different about this process from the process that you observed before when we had, you know, went through the same thing? What lessons were learned and how did you see those lessons applied this time? Um, that's interesting. Uh, uh, well, one major difference was I do think the communications were uh, cogent and consistent uh, about where we were in the process and, and what was happening. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Fowler did a nice job making sure those communications continued. Uh, I think the conception of the process was very different uh, in the sense of we're going to have a community group, we're going to have an advisory group, we're going to engage as many people through the process, but we're not going to uh, um, slow down that process by including so many. We're going to do it efficiently and effectively and keep it moving. And I think that was... I think that was big. Um, I think uh, that the entire board served as the search committee was different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think in some ways that helped them arrive at a consensus quicker. Uh, I think it, uh, it gave them all access to all the information um, all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, that, improved, that improved the process. Yeah. So the question is, you know, when you're starting this process, I imagine you have to be really just pragmatic and take an honest assessment of the university and the challenges that it's going to face over the next several years or even currently. How does that process or how do those challenges um, influence the process and the type of person that you actually need to go find to confront those challenges? You know, to start with that, I think a lot of universities have the same challenges at Winthrop. And I can say for a from my standpoint, I was worried that we would have 30 applicants mm-hmm. for this job. <laughs> we had over 150 applicants across the country. So obviously I was wrong. I'm not smart. Uh, that's smart. <laughs> uh, but to that extent, I think it was very obvious that COVID has impacted higher ed. We need enrollment. We need an evaluation of all the, uh, you know, what are we selling at Winthrop? The mm-hmm. evaluation of exactly what, is the offering that identity crisis maybe that's that is at Winthrop? I don't I don't know, but again, Jack would have more experience on the higher ed side. But it seemed to me that uh, everybody that pulled into this search had experience in uh, undertaking challenges and enjoyed those challenges and had an answer to actually winning, which that might not be a good answer, Joel. Sorry, but um, 
it was a great search. I can't, I can't put the detail specifically on it, obviously for this forum, but uh, it was just ran so well with the details that were the Dr. Fowler and Dr. Gloria Jones too, and the PSAG, um, all of these people, everybody was involved in this. So everybody's voice was heard. So there wasn't anything that was missed, whether it was athletics, whether it was the college of education, whether it was the college of business, whether it was the community in partnering with firms like yours or, you know, a Williams and fudge. Um, it was just amazing uh, overall. I think I think uh, one point is higher ed is is in a major shift, right? Yeah. We're in a major recalibration. Um, uh, that's across the country. Uh, COVID accelerated that. Uh, the proverbial cliff is was projected twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven, uh, and it, is that generational? Know, you mean the uh, cliff? Is that just an enrollment? Uh, yeah. What? Well, it's enrollment and, and, and demographics both, mm-hmm. which kind of combine to the to the same thing, but. Uh, Northeast experienced it first um, uh, in the uh, early 2000s. We could see it coming in the Northeast uh, because of birth rates dropping. And the Northeast has a disproportionate amount of college-bound children. Mm. So if that birth weight drops, right, there's yeah. a, there, you're hitting top of the funnel stuff. But then after 2008 and 2009, birth rates dropped everywhere uh, from the Great Recession. Uh, and in 2018, last time I think that data that's been compiled, it's 1.7. So top of the funnel stuff. Yeah. Right. So you know, just numbers. There you go. Right. Right. And so um, the so that again, so 2008, 2009. When does that right? 2025, 2000. Right. Right. Then COVID accelerated it. Right. A million fewer students in the last two years. Wow. Across the board. Across the country. So, um, but Winthrop's had its challenges before that. Winthrop, like many institutions, um, was, was built on a model that assumed there would always be plenty of students for the limited number of seats. And that just simply flipped. There are too many seats and yeah. not enough students. And um, the model of higher education becoming a much more competitive business uh, Winthrop's been trying to catch up with that uh, and the enrollment decline that we've experienced since 2015. And I think that's important since 2015. Pre-COVID. Way before COVID. Right. Um, signifies the extent to which we needed to adjust to the new business model of higher education. Yeah. And that's simple economics. When yeah. the supply of something is greater than the demand, right. the cost of it certainly cannot Correct. increase. Otherwise, right. you're going to lose its place in the market. Right? That's right. Exactly. That's right. And so, so uh, you know, the presidential profile that was pulled together is going to hit many of the same notes that other presidential profiles are going to hit. Mm-hmm. Right. We need to increase community engagement. We need to increase exposure to uh, programs that are demand driven. Uh, we need in- to increase fundraising uh, we need to increase our relationships across the state. You know, these are the types of things. And so really the only difference would be just p- kind of points of emphasis, you know, points of emphasis. And then uh, really it's incumbent on then the candidates to go past the profile, right? Get on the webpage, look around, start reading some stuff, see what's, see what's going on. And this is why there were 150 candidates because – I'm sorry, you're in Rock Hill. What? You, you're you're a, you're next to Charlotte the Panther. What? You have how much going into now? Yeah, there was there was like you know, and for Dr. Serna, I'm in Southern Maine. I think I'm good to come to Rock Hill. So pretty easy. And that that's kind of that last point I would say, Joel, is you know the growth in York County and what's happening here was that catalyst to get that those uh, applicants in because 
it would not help, I think, the university if we had somebody that wasn't in a high growth area or understood that. Mm-hmm. You could get somebody from New York City. Now, that's not really going to resonate here. It's not having growth. Now, if it was a, a Brentwood, Tennessee outside of Nashville, yeah, that makes sense. If it's Austin, if it's you know something like that, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of good things there in growth. Or, like Dr. Cerna, you're in a tough spot, but you made it happen without the growth. Yeah. Imagine what he can do with the growth. Right. And for, for those who don't know, I mean, he came from southern Maine, uh-huh. right? I mean, can you give a little background? Or Yeah, president of Maine Farmington, mm-hmm. and uh, that's exactly right. So they're not exploding with enrollment. Right. right. So he had to make some very strategic decisions. It's part of the Maine system, so it's, uh, um, you know, he had, had challenges there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he had to make some very real real decisions and to align their budgets and 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 get them ready for for what they i I don't know what university doesn't have challenges right right (laughs) let's just call it the top tier one research i guess it's r1 technically is right or land grants yeah Yeah, that's so flagships maybe that's the top 25 public universities in the country that's that are everyone else has funding enrollment everybody has these problems so who's the one that can engage the community very deeply Who's the one that can not just go for singles from donations and actually build relationships? Mm-hmm. Who is that that person that that has a vision for what Winthrop could be in ten years, mm-hmm. uh, not just two, not just three? Um, and I, I think they made a great decision, the board of trustees. And I think they also had a because of the experience of the last ten years, right? Be that whatever it is. I think they were just very intentional about fit. And they didn't, I think they would say that they didn't when they, um, even in their selection of, of anywhere down the line, I just, I think they right. did not chase the shiny object. That is a hundred percent. They did not, they did not chase, you know, a, a provost from a flagship, right. Who doesn't, un, who's not going to understand. I do not know if a provost of a flagship applied. So. Let me make sure that's clear. Um, but you know what I mean? Where the, right. right? Because a master's comprehensive regional university has a different budget model, different different job responsibilities. This president is going to have to do some different things than a president of those schools would have to do. So um, I think I think I think there's been a lot of lessons learned um, just having gone through this so many times. Well, and I think you just touched on something. I don't know if they ever had an actual president apply for the president's position at Winthrop before, right? I mean, this was a situation where you had multiple sitting collegiate presidents. They, they, they have, but they haven't advanced. Either gotcha. a, either a they, they pulled out mm-hmm. before it got to the to the final stages, um, or or they weren't selected to to yeah. advance. Again, this is a very different dynamic, right? Higher ed, there's going to be a consolidation, right? Yeah. We're in the middle of that. And is everyone uh, trying to find a better lifeboat right now? Correct. And so that tells us that Winthrop is actually really well positioned. That's right. So all these challenges are endemic to higher education. They're not unique to Winthrop. Right. But perhaps our opportunities are somewhat unique. Without a doubt. Okay. Think about, you asked the question not to do a complete uh, 360 on this and close this out, but you asked how do donors and the community and staff and faculty know Mm -hmm. that we, the board of trustees got this right. Think about the risk on all of these sitting presidents applying to Winthrop. That's mm-hmm. public knowledge, right? There was over 150 different applicants where, you know, this is kind of front and center out there. You're putting your brand as a, as a president, as a uh, whatever your, your role is out there. 
but that's how much you believe in what this is overall at Winthrop and how much opportunity. So Dr. Cerna comes into campus or comes into the position, when is it, July? July 1 is the official start date. Okay, so when he comes into Winthrop and he comes onto campus, what is he going to find? Tell me about the asset that he has in advancement and how the foundation works to increase his, his chances of success at Winthrop. Yeah, and I guess I'll just start, too, with, you know, a lot of people don't know about the foundation at Winthrop. We've been around since, I believe, 1971, Something. maybe maybe earlier uh, at that point. But, uh, you know, our mission at the foundation is to provide funds for scholarships, right? Mm -hmm. That is, let's fund scholarships for students, fund the opportunity to go to Winthrop and achieve a degree, whether it's a four-year, whether you're a non-traditional student, whether you're, you know, a master's degree-seeking student, et cetera. Um, the foundation is in such a good spot right now overall to support that, that overall university mission. Uh, Dr. Cerna is going to come into something that's really great that we as a foundation board and staff can certainly help with, but uh, he is not going to come into a position where I have to go fix something, Yeah. right? I can focus on academic programs. I can focus on enrollment. I can focus on uh, livelihood in the community and getting my family engaged. I don't have to worry about the foundation because now we're you know approaching $100 million in assets. Mm -hmm. That is a... Can we put that into context real quick? Because I don't think... People may not realize what well, that actually means. Well, yeah, right? We, we just shared that data point. When yeah. we cross $100 million, we'll be in the top 25% of endowments wow. in higher ed. And think about that. I mean, there's usually this shift in the inflection point where once you get over $100 million in assets you start looking like, you know, the real deal. Yeah. Not going to lie. Something. You can do things. You can innovate. Right. You can, uh, you know, fund ideas versus just, you know, unrestricted assets or scholarships. You can, yeah. you can support the hiring of, of, of different staff members on the university and subsidize things. You yeah. can hire more staff, more advancement sales folks. So you think about the trajectory of what can happen when you get a hundred million and you get 125 to 150 attention starts to, to be drawn on you, frankly. Does that perhaps also alleviate some of the strain on just tuition dollars? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does eventually. Yeah. Uh -huh. Without, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, you've probably had conversations with representative Simrel about, about that, about those challenges. Yeah. Right. And, and it's a challenge for families to afford college education. So, yeah. so uh, the foundation Anything that the foundation can provide to alleviate some of those pressures is, is critical. Mm. Let me just say this. Um, Peter's leadership on the foundation has been extraordinary. Following Bob Brakefield that did a fabulous job. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Andy Sheen. Following yep. Andy Sheen. Um, and quite frankly, now we're looking forward to make the foundation even more forward. Yeah. in the community, extending the Winthrop brand with the Winthrop Foundation involved more conspicuously in things in the community. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because of their leadership that, that we're able to do that. And I would just like to just say, you know, these are volunteers, yeah. right? And they have significantly altered, right? We do not have the $200 million gift coming into Winthrop right now. Right. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but it's because this guy that Winthrop's going to be in a place where that development's going to be coming. 
And, and I just God, want to with all these sure challenges, that. like thank God. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> so timing cannot be better. That's right. And you know, for a university um, in need of a win, mm-hmm. it's a huge win. Uh, and kind of like we went back to the higher education business model changing. Mm-hmm. Higher ed, um, a lot of schools aren't used to uh, self promotion. Yeah. Right. They they're not. It's not kind of in their. They haven't had to. No, right, right. right. It's like, well, wait a minute. Isn't it kind of implicit? You know, the college degree from Winthrop? I mean, what the heck, right? Right. You would say that. I mean, what the heck? Yeah. Right? So, um, but we need to do that. We got to get much better at that, right? And then this is one of those things that we can talk about, just the decision-making that's happened to to set up the the foundation for future success, which Mm -hmm. then leads the university to future success. There's been so much... uh, operational friction, I think, in the foundation going 10 years back. Mm-hmm. And I think why we're so successful, and Jack alludes to it, the Bob Brakefields, the the Andy Sheens, the Matt Doshes, the, I'm missing a ton of people, the Gary yeah. Williams, yeah, right? Gary was, was on the board for many years. You know, they had a vision as well that, okay, we have to kind of clean our house internally before you can go play in the yard, right? Mm-hmm. Before you're, you're outside throwing the football around, you got to make sure your bed's made. You got to make sure you ate your lunch, you had your vegetables, right? We've done that now. So now we can go out to the market and say, yeah, you can feel proud as a donor that when you're giving us $1 or $10,000 or more, we are good stewards of your money, first and foremost, that's going to a amazing cause. Oh, and we're being innovative too mm-hmm. of what we're doing. And that's where we're on that third stool, that innovation. What can we be doing that's different to compete for dollars versus... Clemson, USC, College of Charleston, Citadel, Coastal, all those schools, we are in a great position to to land grab yeah. from an asset base right now. You just touched on something. It's a bit of a tangent, but I want to, since you just touched on it, I want to get into it. In a state where you have Clemson in the national news every Saturday with an amazing football team, you have South Carolina, you have Coastal, which is, you know, Good tailgate experience, football team, beaches right there. You have College of Charleston. I'm leaving out 100 colleges. Um, how does Winthrop compete for students in an environment like that? And what is the competitive edge that allows Winthrop, and, and I guess what makes a Winthrop student want to come be a part of the Winthrop community? Well, I mean, you've got two things. One, you have to make visible the programs, right, that mm-hmm. the region of the community want. Our academic portfolio should mirror, right, the – top five industries in York County, the top five industries in South Carolina, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then investing in the marketing that, uh, you know, kind of makes visible the Winthrop brand. And what I mean by that is the value propositions, right? And for so long, uh, those were known, mm-hmm. conspicuous, but again, the model has changed, right? And so uh, simply word of mouth is not, uh, uh, appropriate enough to uh, conti- uh, to continue to maintain your market share, which we've discovered um, over the last uh, five, six, seven years. Um, that's not enough. So um, I, I just don't think that if, if you build and leverage and, and sell and market a portfolio that supports this region uh, in the industries that we need to provide, mm-hmm. um, I the growth is there. I mean, um, 
this is an attractive area. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And every school, here's the thing, every school sells what they've got, right? And so we could say, well, Coastal Carolina has the beach and, and they've got football. Okay, fine. We have York County and we have Charlotte and you sell what you have and you line up your portfolio that well that way. Um, and uh, there's no there's no doubt that we can't take. Uh, but here's the other thing. Higher ed institutions are not used of looking at it in a competitive landscape in the sense of, uh, well, it's a, you know, if I gain three students, that means you lost two students. Right. Well, guess what? That's going to happen. Yeah. Well. Let's go. When it I, is what it is. When I think about Winthrop and that, that value prop differentiator going to the market, I don't want to say we have an identity crisis, but we need to know what we're selling yeah. as a university. And early in my career, I learned you can either sell a new product or you can sell an old product a new way. Mm-hmm. Doing both is extremely difficult. We don't know yet if we're going to sell a new product or if we're going to sell the old product a different way. right? And it mm-hmm. could be both. Mm-hmm. It could be one. It could be the other. Um, and I think that's on Dr. Cerna to figure out, okay, what is the trajectory? I, am I selling a new program that, as Jack mentioned, is prevalent in York County where there is demand gen, mm-hmm. and I can loop back into that and just have a, a feeder program? Or is it, look, we need to double down on education. That is our bread and butter. We are not going to let another university take that that market cap away from us mm-hmm. and just sell it a different way. He'll have to figure that out. Yeah. But we're all there for them. But I, and I think it's a great thing to figure out right now. That's a good point. Well, I would have. also say, I would also say part of it is recognizing your role in the state of South Carolina as well. I think that we relied up a lot upon our previous earlier reputation, right? Provider of college of education and strong liberal arts foundation, right? But we're a public master's comprehensive university. We are a public master's comprehensive university. We need to be delivering programs that the public needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a, a major need in this area of South Carolina in all areas of South, uh, all areas of healthcare, yeah. all areas, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that's just the way for Winthrop to grow enrollment. I would say it's our charge, right? We are a public university. We need to be serving those needs in this region. Yeah. That's a really interesting way to put it too, because if it is a publicly funded university, then that changes where the obligations and duties mm-hmm. are. And if the obligation is to the public, then yeah, you really have to make sure. And of course there's gotta be ROI for the university sure. and all that right. of course. to make it actually work. But if that's where the demand is, of course there will be. Right. And I think that actually bodes well because, okay, so if the competitive edge, if the value proposition for Winthrop is come to an area, come to a, a, a market where there's employment opportunity for you, if you're well-trained and you're gonna receive the type of education that Winthrop can provide versus the value proposition of another school, which is, hey, come watch football games. Right. Does that lend itself to solving another problem, which is the quality of student? Because if you're the type of high school student who's looking at colleges and you say, well, and your choices are, I want to go tailgate for football games on Saturday mornings, or I want to go somewhere where I'm going to be challenged, but I'm going to have job opportunities when I graduate because I'm going to be somewhere where the market is robust and there's a demand for me as a trained professional coming out of this university, don't you think that the type of student that choo- chooses the latter option is probably the type of student that you want to have? Yeah, to a certain yes, a- absolutely. And it, what I would I would I would use this data point, mm-hmm. right? 
And this data hasn't changed for I'm assuming that type of years. student exists. <laughs> yeah, right. the, the, for this data hasn't changed for 12 years. We, we survey our applicants. We survey folks who are admitted, right? And over 50% of the students, Winthrop was not their first choice. Okay. I'm one. Now. I have to admit I'm to two. that. Yeah. There you go. There you mm-hmm. go. We were not their first choice, which means if for many in South Carolina, if Clemson accepted them, they went to Clemson. Mm-hmm. But it also suggests, look at the number of those students that did not go, did not transfer, they stayed. So if we have over 50% of the incoming students where we're not their first choice, that can create some challenges. All you have to do is lower that number to 40% and you've changed the trajectory of the university. Mm -hmm. You know, um, is that a retention problem? uh, No, I just mean it it, because to back to your point. Yeah. If they're choosing you, are they going to choose you or football? Mm -hmm. We're not in that debate right now Mm -hmm. because we've not made visible that. Yeah. And all we need to do is peel off 10%. We don't need all 50%. We don't need to convince the, the person that just really wants football. No, no, you really want win- – stop. Yeah. But what about the 10% that, that think, well, I guess I'll go to South Carolina. I mean, that could be fun. Mm-hmm. Versus I'm very into exercise science, and they've got internships lined up uh, with athletic training and the Panthers organization. Mm-hmm. Now I have a different proposition to consider. Yeah. Now there's a career path. Right. It's yeah. A, it's not even, I just think about students coming to Winthrop and when I came, well, Charlotte's up the road. There is a Fort Mill, York County experience now that is so different than when we were here 20 years <laughs> yeah. ago. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Where do I want to go to lunch today? Oh, there's 50 different places on Main Street, right? Yeah, it was a lot different. Yeah. Very much so. Um, it, almost comically so. It was, it was still old Rock Hill, still very much the small town. And it still retains all of that charm, but also it's vibrant and there's economic opportunity and it's not really Charlotte is up the road. It's almost like you're kind of part of greater Charlotte at this point. Correct. It's, it's hard to tell where the divide actually is. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a lot different, but, and you're right. I mean, I think if just a small percentage change really has an effect long-term on um, the type of person and how does that so obviously the university um, is well known um, as a as a school to go for education. Mm-hmm. You know it has the education program, the liberal arts programs. Um, however, if you're bringing, if you're attracting those kind of students, does that also kind of solve the problem that you have at the foundation or in advancement, where you have students that will perhaps be financially successful later in life and have the ability to give back or the desire to give back to the university in a significant way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I think so. If you, Absolutely. Right, right. But I would also say this. Every kid that watches X medical drama comes in as a biology major. Yeah. And within one semester, they're not biology majors anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Not at Winthrop. I mean, that curriculum is tough. Yeah. Right? That's why if you make it through, it's good not to easy, go. But also huge opportunity because you can do research at Winthrop. But that's exactly right. Massive so, opportunity. But, yeah. but again, it's, it's the... It's the it's the top of the funnel stuff, mm-hmm. right? Kids want to go to school where there's some juice, mm-hmm. where there's stuff happening, where things are happening. 
Clemson has tons of English majors. Okay? The humanities are fine. If and we, you can say that as an English. Absolutely. Yeah, that's your background. The humanities can be served by getting more cybersecurity majors because they're going to realize, I actually loved that philosophy course. Mm-hmm. That history course was unbelievable. Happens all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And so they want to just go where, where they know that the ecosystem is setting them up yeah. for, for moving forward. Absolutely. That's, let's dig into that a little bit more. How do you change – what has been the model for alumni engagement, especially in advancement or at the foundation – and how has that changed? How can you? How has, the, how have either of those enterprises leveraged new technology to engage with alumni? Um, I think you threw up on the screen a minute ago. There's what fifty or sixty thousand uh, Winthrop alumni 60, spread out all over the mm-hmm. all over the world. Um, you know, each of them has a, a unique Winthrop experience, and you know, it, it almost to a person. You've talked to anyone that went to Winthrop. I mean, they love it. They rave about it. They they preach it all the time. Everywhere they go, they want to talk about it. Um, how have you leveraged technology? How have, has the model changed with engagement? And how do you see that like continuing to change or evolve going forward? Well, number one, Winthrop is, is not unique as a public university mm-hmm. to have not successfully built a culture of philanthropy that extends to all corners of the university, mm-hmm. right? Public schools, they're late to the game. Yeah, And then public land-grant R1s, they can go, oh, we'll do advancement now. Bam. Yeah. Done. Right? So for schools of our kind, it's going to take some time. you got to build it right and all that good stuff. And like any other things, we've had some fits and starts with that. Mm-hmm. So of those 60,000 alums, though, we don't have, communic- we don't have connectivity points, mm. half of them. Right? So immediately, all right, well, how do we do that? Well, to build a culture for philanthropy, you have to start when students are freshmen. Mm-hmm. Right, you got to start thinking about, hey, how are you here? Because you just got that scholarship, so you need to remember that. Yeah, right. Let's build programs where you can give ten dollars, right? And then suddenly, ten other freshmen gave ten dollars, and look what you guys just did. You know and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, slowly building a, a cultural culture that way. But you're you're absolutely right. The 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 technology has changed. It definitely enables us um, more opportunities to reach out to alumni and engage alumni, mm-hmm. and it's key. And we have to constantly be thinking about that in new ways. And then I will also say, as Peter and I have chatted about, um, we have to engage with all our alumni differently than we did than alumni from the 1960s and 70s, yeah. right? Yeah. Winthrop has changed. I would hope so. Winthrop has changed, right? Uh-huh. Um, uh, uh, our you know, co-ed, university, and now our enrollment mirrors the population of South Carolina. And we should be very proud of that, mm-hmm. right? Well, how do we engage with that entire, how do we engage with the diversity of alumni that we have mm-hmm. uh, in ways that are different than we have before, you know? And so we've got work to do. We've got work to do. Yeah, but it's it, exciting. It's fun. It's great to think about that. I was going to say, I think that's on us as well, mm-hmm. uh, respectfully. I get very emotional on this, so sorry, Joel and Jack, if, <laughs> if I start getting fired up. Uh, about alumni and and the lack of giving that we've had at Winthrop because it doesn't take a lot to do a lot Mm -hmm. for us at Winthrop. 10 bucks a year, 20 bucks a month. It's a lunch. Mm -hmm. You know, you're an alum, make an effort, give back. Uh, We have underserved probably our, our alumni group and Lori Tuttle's amazing uh, in the alumni group. And and was just texting with her yesterday. We've got great ideas to market to affinity groups, Mm -hmm. right? To the Greek 
you know, uh, societies, to the athletes, to uh, everybody. We have to do things differently mm-hmm. if we're selling differently now in a different market. Um, but again, I, I don't know what the number is directly. Jack, you would know probably it's how many consistent alumni give. It's what, 350, 400 annually? Oh, uh, no, it's higher than that. Okay. It's higher than that. Yeah, we had, I would say 3,000, you know, because we had 3,600 donors 3,600 donors this past year, it, and the majority were, were alumni. Going back to Jack's point, though, we're not trying to boil the ocean overnight. We don't need to get that to 10,000. That's right. Let's get it to 4,000 or 5,000. What does right. that do? Mm-hmm. That puts our number in the foundation now from 100 million to 150 extremely quickly. Yeah. And then you plug that back into the system, this ecosystem at, at Winthrop, and create more of that, That's create right. that vision and that innovation and, and do things that are unique that the Stanfords are doing that right. we can easily do just at a different level. Yeah, just a slightly smaller scale. Yep. But the opportunities here, like you said, because the market's growing, Rock Hill's still right-sized because uh-huh. you can you can make significant changes without millions of dollars or billions of dollars. Um, but that, that kind of touches on another thing I wanted to ask you all about because, you know, Winthrop is, is in the center of Rock Hill, and yet it's not necessarily prominent uh-huh. in Rock Hill. Um, what should be the role of the university in the greater community? And how do you see that changing over the next five years? Good, good, good versus bad, push versus pull. Um, where's the demand for university engagement coming from? Where's the push coming from? Um, I want to touch on all that. Big question. Wow. Big question. A lot of knowledge coming on a Friday from <laughs> Schiller and Hamilton. Uh, you have to win in your backyard mm-hmm. no matter what. And I think you've made that reference before, Joel, which I steal all the time. It, we're not going to win every student or every potential student in our community that wants to leave and get away from mom and dad. I didn't want to stay home. I needed to get away from an Italian dad, right? So <laughs> let's just call that what it is. And that's why I got him next to me. Uh, <laughs> But you have to win and be able to feed your community with some type of talent, hence the five programs that feed the public uh, area, whether it's healthcare, whether it's fintech. I, I don't know what that could be. Mm-hmm. But you have to have that. Uh, Jack, jump in here because you know more about this than I do. Well, I would just say it's going to just change precipitously. I, excuse me, exponentially. The Dr. Cerna's great mm-hmm. with the community great acumen, a business background. Um, Winthrop alum, we should mention. Yes, Winthrop alum, which is a great story. Um, We're ready to get him in in front of as many folks. And what I would say is um, I am fortunately am a Panthers fan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when we hired our new GM, who I think is actually really strong, his first press conference, he said, we're going to be involved in every trade in the NFL. Doesn't mean we're going to be in the trade but we're going to be involved in every trade discussion. There should be no development that happens in York County that Winthrop is not at that table. I agree. Not a single development. And maybe we're not involved, but maybe we get our partners and neighbors, hey, York Tech needs to be at this table. Mm-hmm. You need to be talking to Clinton right now, right? And, and too often, I think, where we failed to recognize the opportunity of just being a good neighbor and a good partner. Uh, means doing things even beyond what's necessarily directly serving Winthrop, mm-hmm. right? But joining that 
joining that entire community. Um, and uh, I think Dr. Cerna will, 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 will get there. I think advancement will play a role. The foundation will play a role. Um, and, uh, and, and our amazing academic programs and deans, I mean, they've got great abilities to get in the community and, and, and find out what's there and, and, and help. So um, I think that's going to happen. And I, I think so. it's going to be really exciting. I think it's going to be really exciting. I think the reality is it's a very low cost investment mm-hmm. that Winthrop can make. Cause you're just talking about people's times, yep. you know, having a seat at the table, going to attend the lunches and the right. breakfasts and, yep. you know, seeing one another at knowledge park nearly every morning and, you know, have just jumping into conversations at this table or this table. Um, but those small changes, those marginal differences have exponential effects, mm-hmm. both in, in the greater community and at Winthrop. And so it's almost amazing that like Winthrop is, is where it is considering like the mountain of opportunity that's even ahead of it. Right. Like what has sustained Winthrop through some of these challenges? Schiller and Hamilton podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It just went without saying, but he said it. (laughs) There it is. Just go there. Uh, You know, I think there's been a core community of, people that have supported the university consistently through thick and thin. And they, you know, as far as I know, we'll still support the university. We need to expand that more though. Mm-hmm. Can't go to the well all the time. It's going to dry up eventually. Mm-hmm. And then I'd also say probably the faculty being yeah. here. At, at Unbelievable. This, we, we, I take it for granted. I'll say that right now in front of any faculty member here, we have some of the best in the world Yeah, with what they've created and what they have and in the research and they're because they want to teach, which yes. is huge different. You, you, you know, you mentioned the R1s. Well, you're going to get a professor who actually wants to teach you at Winthrop. And I think that's one of the big differences, right? It's incredible. Yeah. And I think a lot of students take advantage of it. I didn't because certainly I wasn't as smart as you and others at the time. But uh, I think the, the staff, the faculty, that whole cohort staying intact, mm-hmm. pretty strong. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any question. Yeah. I don't think there's any question. And they've been through a lot. Leadership changes, you know, is what it is. Um, But we have long tenured faculty at Winthrop, incredibly well known and versed in their field that are dedicated to educating the students and and actually teaching, right? I mean, how unique is that in the ecosystem? Yeah. And I think I would also just like to say, as a tenured full professor Mm -hmm. myself, Joseph Miller likes to talk about it this way. The student experience, right, is just at the core of the enterprise. Mm -hmm. The student experience, the academic and the extracurricular, the student experience, right? And I would say through various decisions and non-decisions, we've not protected that enough. And so, therefore, more is being asked of faculty than ever before and it's really burning them out mm-hmm. and if we want to keep those same faculty that are that dedicated and that inspiring then we got to get some things off their back mm-hmm. um now you know hey we all everybody everybody has business experience and understands when profits are down we got to do more with less and all that kind of sure. stuff right sure but, um but it's been going for a long time. A, enrollment's been down, but also higher ed has changed with other things around it. So um, 
assessment and, and these other things that are required from like the Department of Ed in DC. I mean, it just is what it is. Accreditors are coming down and now you need to provide more and more and more and more and more. And, um, and then enrollment drops. So now you don't have the staff support to help do more and more and more and more. Well, hey, by the way, while you're running that class, can you do these three things while you teach the class? So um, I look forward to the juice so that the core is protected more. Well said. And that's where the foundation comes in too, that we have to think beyond for the future that it is not just about, you know, okay, we got some money in. This is great. We can put it back to scholarships. That's wonderful. That is the purpose. I said that earlier. But how are we protecting, how are we supporting growth both from faculty, students, staff, community? It all ties together. Yeah. And that's where we need to be doing things with the foundation that are that are partnering with other foundations even in the state. Can we do some joint events? Can we, you know, do something that some other foundation can't do because of our size or vice versa? Like it's it's very easy. The foundation for the Carolinas is right up the street. We should be having partnership conversations with them. It it it's all right in front of us, which is a lot of fun now, but we couldn't do this until, like I said, we cleaned up our house a bit. Yeah. So do you think that allows Winthrop to compete for talent? I mean, if you're talking about, you know, the type of students you want, um, obviously to create that Winthrop experience, and obviously there's a core at Winthrop that exists, but, you know, recruitment and retention going forward, is that how Winthrop competes? The foundation has a role. The greater marketplace has a role. How do you maintain that? It's how do you all about revenue, right? Yeah. We can't we can't provide redress to mm-hmm. uh, salary compression, and those faculty that were your favorite faculty, right? If you account- academics speak for how do we pay these people what they're worth? Correct, <laughs> yeah. right. correct. That's exactly right, and that's mm-hmm. only going to come from increased revenue. Yeah, which has to come from somewhere. But then mm-hmm. there has to be the intentional, strategic protocol and plan that says, okay, so now our revenue went up 0.7%, 30% of that goes to marketing, 30% of that goes to faculty and staff, 30% yeah. of that goes to deferred maintenance, right? Is that a hard I, sell? Uh, no, I don't think it's a hard sell. And I think Dr. Yeah. Stern will be great. I think he'll be yeah. great. I think he's got a great mind. I think he, he really conveyed a sense of how to how to build that. Yeah. Uh, but we have to do it. So is in it, other words, the faculty buys into that approach. Like, hey, this is a rising tide. We're going to invest in. It'll take a few. I mean, this yeah. is going to take it's a not few overnight. years. Mm-hmm. But um, but that has to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, what, what business doesn't recognize that it's driven by their people? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, but. Higher education sometimes forgets that, and then, and then when they forget it, then they get hit with a with a challenge like we've experienced the last five years. Having forgotten that is a real problem. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's where even Jack and Robin Embry, who's our executive director at the foundation, I think it was last week, we were even thinking about ways to think ahead for ten years. Mm-hmm. How do we do all of this in ten years and have that strategic plan, which is not. You know, on a six-month cycle or an eight-month cycle, we have to think bigger and longer term to have that that retention of staff, right? I mean, where are we going to grow wallet share from new students? Where are we going to grow wallet share from new faculty that can come here? Where can we grow from existing? Where can we retain? Where can, you know, these, these stories are, are across the board, and we're thinking about that. So you mentioned the next 10 years, and I, I know there's a basketball game, Big South, first game tonight, went, go Eagles. Um, so I don't want to keep everybody too long. So I want to kind of end with with this. So you, you mentioned the pitch. You mentioned, you know, how do we get students here? Um, 
So if you're speaking to those high school kids now who are saying, or who are contemplating where they actually want to go for school, what do you tell them? What's the pitch? What does your Winthrop degree mean 10 years from now? What does that Winthrop degree symbolize? Who's going to talk first? That's the question. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a big question, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't know if, if we even know that yet. Mm-hmm. I know we have new leadership coming in. Yeah. We can't get ahead of our skis here, but, here, but here's what are we thing. speculating? The only answer that is appropriate, the mm-hmm. only answer that is appropriate is to say that your degree will be worth more in 10 years than it is now. Mm-hmm. That's it. Bottom line. And we've not taken care of that the last 10 years in the sit. No, we haven't taken care of making alumni feel that. Mm-hmm. It is that. It is yeah. that. The but reality we, is it, there. The reality yeah. is that. Mm-hmm. But right, perception versus feel versus right. And so, um, but I don't think there's any question that we can tell that high school student that their degree and they tell their parents that your child's degree is going to be worth more in 10 years than it is today. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any question. We, we need to attach that... Uh, that quantitative alpha, right, to that degree and say that this is what it, it will mean in 10 years if you follow this track, if you are certainly a, a good student and you put the work in, um, we're there to support you too to get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we're good examples of that. Yeah, I think so. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a Try doubt. Try to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Nice. Well, guys, I mean, we could talk all day about this stuff as we do – from time I thought to you were going to go athletics here. We was about to take the jacket off. Talk, yeah, you know, <laughs> well, conference realignments and you know where we could go there. That'd be cool. No. No, we'll save that for round two. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for coming in today. Enjoyed it. Hope y'all did. Joe, we appreciate awesome. it a lot, man. Yep. Thank Thanks. you for the support Thanks. always. Thanks for Thank the you. support. Thanks for the chance. Mm-hmm.